0: Welcome to CII Podcasts.
1: I would like to welcome our esteemed moderator for the PISAT chat today, Dr. Srinivasan, Managing Director, PMI South Asia, and our esteemed panelists, Mr. Kiran Manohar Deshmukh, Group CTO, Sona Comstar. Dr. Srinivasan, as Regional Managing Director of PMI South Asia, oversees PMI's activities in the region, India, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. He also leads the PMI Global IT Systems Working Group. Saini has over 30 years of global experience as CEO, business leader, and uh, an entrepreneur at the intersection of professional services and technology. He is a subject matter expert in strategy, organizational transformation, operations improvement, and analytics-based digital solutions. Before joining PMI, he was the Managing Director of Arthedri Little India, based in New Delhi, re-establishing the firm in India. He has also served in senior leadership roles at Altran Technologies and the Hay Group India. Srini has a doctorate degree in business education conferred by University of Northern Colorado, an MBA from Eastern New Mexico University, and a Bachelor of Accounting degree from the University of Madras. Uh, we welcome you, Dr. Srini. Thank you. Mr. Kiran Manohar Deshmukh is the chief technology officer at Sona Comstar. He holds a bachelor's degree of technology in metallurgical engineering from Indian Institute of Technology, Bombay. He has significant experience in automotive component manufacturing and has worked in the areas of, among others, manufacturing, process control and design. He was honored with the Ashoka Award by the Indian Society for Quality in 2006. He is responsible for, among others, developing new technology partnerships and building competencies in manufacturing excellence in Sona Comstar. Um, Prior to joining Sona Comstar, he has worked with Bharat Gears Limited, where um, during the term of his employment, he attended a training program at Glisson Works. He has also worked with Sona Koyu Steering Systems Limited as the deputy managing director and executive vice chairman cq work skills services private limited which is now sona skill development center limited as the managing director skap forging private limited as a director so i once again extend a very warm welcome to all the participants and the panelists here so without uh, further ado let's begin the today's session with this i now invite dignitaries to the discussion and request Dr. Sreeni Srinivasan to set the brief context and take the chat forward with Mr. Deshmukh. Over to you, Dr. Sreenivasan.
2: Thank you very much. Iran. it's an honor to have you in this program. Thank you. Uh, you are one of the leaders and pathfinders in the automotive industry and particularly with a focus on manufacturing and technology, which is of great interest to all of us. Uh, I wanted to help set the context for all of us in the audience uh, and request you to talk a little bit about the journey that you helped create for Sona, OYO, originally and then Comstar, to become one of the most important tier one suppliers to Maruti. And it's been a journey that you have helped craft the architecture for, so I just wanted to request you take a few minutes to talk talk about how that journey took place and and what have been some of the significant uh, learnings for you in that journey
0: well thanks Rini and it's nice to uh, be with you uh, personally on this panel Uh, well this journey in manufacturing for me has been a very long journey It started way back in 1975, so many people who were in the audience uh, maybe not born or maybe kids at that time. And that was a time when most of the manufacturing was following the Western methods of manufacturing, which basically came from Germany or US, uh, which was uh, command and control, which was uh, batch production. So, for example, I was in Bharat Gears as a fresh graduate uh, trainee engineer I joined and uh, we used to... Bharat Gears makes uh, gears for automotive applications and uh, there are, as you would know, the basic processes are you take the forging, then you machine it, then you heat it, you grind it and you do final operations and you then ship it. And there we used to have uh, different departments for each of these. There was a turning center, turning section or turning department. There was a heat treatment, there was a gear cutting department, there was a heat treatment department. So everything was done in a batch process. So things will go into the turning sec- session, section, they will get stocked there. Then they will move to the gear cutting, then they will they will get stocked, then they will go to heat treatment and so on and so forth. And that was a way of doing, and it was supposed to be the best way of doing uh, manufacturing. And then came these Japanese and uh, 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 the whole thing changed. I think when I joined uh, Sona Steering at that time, uh, and first time I visited Japan, it was total, it was an eye opener, the first visit. Uh, We had, I had personally read about Japanese manufacturing the just in time and Toyota production system in books and literature and magazines but never believed that it it is something which is practical and which is something which can actually be done but seeing was believing and when I and my other colleagues went there and this was all led by visionary doctor Surinda Kapu We were all shocked to see the things which are happening in Japanese shop floor. I'm talking about 1985-86. Indian manufacturing was not aware of these methods. And uh, nobody would imagine that you can do one piece processing at a time. You can have one operator operating 10 or 15 machines. Uh, Unimaginable. And then we saw it there and we said that let's Because the whole journey of Sona's uh, group uh, led by Dr Kapoor started with the vision that let us create something world-class. And we recognized that the world-class is being like the Japanese company that we visited and we saw our partners there. And, uh, you know, surprisingly at that time, India was not on the radar of Japanese companies because India was a very small company and Japanese companies were more focused towards going to China and other countries in expansion. In fact, Japanese companies were at that time never thought about becoming global. Manufacturing was concentrated in Japan only. So this partner was actually a very, uh, let me use a little better word, uh, was not very interested in us. They were not interested in India, they were not interested in us, they had some bad experience in India earlier because they had a joint venture with the Indian uh, uh, state government, one of the state government's uh, company, uh, where they didn't never get any royalty, they didn't get any money back, so they had a very bad experience of India and therefore they said that you can come, you can see what we are doing and you can just copy it and we will you the documents uh, and you use them, so it it was sort of a kind of learning, you know, that you just watch and see and then do it. Uh, but we did. I mean, we, we were all at that time with that vision of making something unique in India. And we followed that and we created uh, what we created ultimately, I think, in later in 2003, uh, uh, Sonar Steering became the first steering company to receive the Daming Award. Uh, and all that journey from 85, 86 to early 2000 was creating following what we have seen later on of course they understood that we were more serious they started getting money from us uh, the business was going going great thanks to maruti and thanks to expansion of maruti maruti kept on increasing their production from less than 100,000 to 2 lakh 3 lakh 5 lakh every year there's a huge growth and we are riding on that growth and the Japanese partner also saw that uh, India was uh, not the same India that they had experienced before. Uh, so the, the help came in. In fact, uh, one, uh, at one point, in fact, uh, early 90s, uh, they found the strength in our company and then they decided to import certain parts from us. Now The Japanese company, who was a reluctant partner with us in about six years' time, decided that they would want to buy parts from us. They said that we can buy parts from you provided you follow Toyota production system. The Japanese company was a Koyo, Siko, part of Toyota group and they said we will teach you and we had one gentleman called uh, Tanaka who visited us and he started coming to us, he used to spend about two or three weeks, he used to come every three, three months. And uh, we were lucky because in I think in 1970-75 when KOYO was having big problems and it was a verge of bankruptcy, Toyota as their customer decided to support them and they sent a team of people to teach them the new techniques. And uh, Mr. Tanaka was made the head of the team or the group leader who received that knowledge. And uh, the team which came from Toyota was headed by none other than Taiichi Ono. So we had a person who came to us who was a direct disciple of uh, Ono-san. You know? And we became his disciple and we learned the to- Toyota production system. It was called Koyo production system by them, uh, directly from him. And that's when we started applying uh, the real Toyota production system. Before that, we were just applying what we had seen, you know. And we are just copying it, but now we actually got the knowledge, and with his help, uh, we started uh, uh, implementing those things. Uh, and that is how the journey started, and that is how I think that one, the person coming, and then we started following those those methods, was the turning point for us, which led to the the future. That's a that's a really fascinating
2: history, uh, Kiran. And, and, and I, I, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you because it's not very often that you hear of an Indian organization that becomes truly world-class. And not just world-class in terms of people talking about it, but world-class in terms of receiving an accolade as important as the Deming Prize, which many experts will tell you is like the Nobel Prize for manufacturing. Uh, and I'm also particularly thrilled to hear you talk about the fact that you, uh, the, your organization started by learning how to do this as, a, as more as a disciple and eventually uh, you had mastered the craft to the point where the Japanese were willing to buy parts from you, which doesn't happen very often, as you as you know. So I think I think in this journey are a number of lessons for us in the audience, uh, which I hope we all take away with us at the end of this session. Uh, to me, number one, it's it's really about taking a risk and going somewhere that most Indian companies have not gone. Uh, number two, having the humility as an organization to say, we want to learn and we want to apply. And then moving up the value chain to the point where you're not just a disciple anymore, you are a master in your own right as an organization. And, and so I think that's a really, interesting and unique uh, view that you have of the uh, of the industry at large. So if you get on, if, if I could ask you to climb into your imaginary helicopter at uh, about 20,000 feet above the Indian manufacturing uh, diaspora, above the Indian automotive sector. Uh, what do you feel are some of the most uh, important changes that have taken place say, in the last three to five years. Uh, and and some people might say digital transformation, some people would say digital transformation accelerated by COVID. But we'd like to hear your views in terms of what have been some of the disruptions that have taken place in the industry in the last few years?
0: I think uh, digital leads something which definitely happened. COVID uh, accelerated it, but it was something which was in any case happening. COVID or no COVID could have happened. Uh, I think the big things which happened in the recent decade, last decade was in terms of uh, uh, and I think whole thing started probably with the smartphone uh, in 2007 when it was launched first by Apple and uh, that brought in it was like a virtuous circle where one thing led to other led, leading to another thing. Today we have uh, data capture. Uh, capturing of data in real time has become so cheap. Storage of data has become so cheap. Computing power has exponentially increased. I think it has beaten the Moore's law. Uh, and uh, as a result of this, this new revolution which has taken place. It's something which is there. I think a lot of manufacturing companies today just like those at that time the Japanese uh, methodologies were new. uh, Today the digital technology or digital application of digital tools in manufacturing is something which is available easily. I mean when I say easily, there are many other things also, but it's if you have intent, it's not difficult for you to uh, embrace that. However, many people are feeling shy, staying away from it. I think that would be a big mistake by manufacturing if we do not do this. Because uh, we have seen definition of quality changed drastically over years, decades. From fitness to standard, it became fitness to usage, then it became fitness to cost, then it became fitness to latent needs. Today, it has become fitness to experience, which is a major change which has happened in the last five to ten years. And unless we are able to deliver products which meet all these and while it changed from standard to usage to cost, etc., the old thing remained. It's not that it changed from one to other. Today you need to make, make products which are according to the standards, which are fit to use, which are cost competitive, which meet customers' latent needs. And yet, still it also provides the experience. So if you have to do everything, you have to use the technology, unless you use the technology which is available, uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot survive. Uh, So I would say today, the world has changed from continuous improvement to continuous innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, to remain competitive, we must embrace digital technology, take advantages of the technology. It's not easy. There are many hurdles, uh, which have to be overcome. And the biggest hurdle is mindset. But uh, this is something which uh, leaders have to do if the manufacturing has to remain competitive. Well said, well said. I think
2: as I'm listening to you, one thing becomes very clear. There is no going back to the old days. There is no old normal, (laughs) there is just a new normal, especially in manufacturing, especially in automotive. Uh, And those that what I'm hearing from you is those organizations that don't avail themselves of some of these technologies and tools will be left behind. Uh, because you've talked about uh, the fact that data is now a commodity. Uh, we're capturing, analyzing, all in real time is a commodity. So you just open the tap, and then you close the tap, and you're done. But there's still people, I think, in the manufacturing sector, as you pointed out, who may not have made that mind shift uh, to looking at how to utilize the data. data. And in many organizations, what we find is many organizations themselves don't know how much data they have and how how to use it. So that's one aspect. The other aspect that you talked about, I think is also very critical, which is the definition of what customer expectations are today uh and and as you rightly put it the, the the whole spectrum from initially fitness to standard has now become uh, uh, fitness to continuous improvement uh, fitness to innovation uh, and and that part is something that many of us in the audience probably haven't come to grips with yet so so one of the takeaways for me is that today the customer is not so much interested in your process, which is a price price of admission, but he or she is more interested in what type of innovation you're able to produce and, and, and what type of uh, 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 creativity you can bring to the table. Uh, In that regard, Kiran, let me let me just focus on a couple of disruptions that we hear a lot about. One is uh, supply chain disruption. Uh, What are your thoughts on that in terms of what's what's happening today and how the industry is recovering or
0: not? I think uh, things are happening so rapidly in supply chain. Uh, I mean, we we have the China Problem. Then we have. I mean, not just India, but I think the whole world is experiencing that. That suddenly they close down because of COVID, uh, the zero tolerance uh, policy, and so the entire supply chain is affected. Uh, we we have experienced the chip shortage, and uh, you may be a supplier to you may be automotive supplier, and you may not be using anything electronics, but simply because chip is not available, the car cannot be made. Car cannot be made. You, you cannot supply. So, the supply chain is so complex today that it it is so entangled with each other. Uh, One war in uh, Ukraine or some oil crisis uh, or the the COVID pandemic and things like that. Uh, Taiwan is there now. Uh, So, I think uh, when at one point of time It was being said that the world is flat and we can have supply chain, you can get things from anywhere to anywhere. I think things will change in coming years because everybody would want to be uh, protected against such disruptions. Uh, Companies will decide to have alternates and companies will, especially OEMs, will insist who are having facilities closer to them. Localization will become the word uh, for everybody. Uh, Atmanirbharata will become even for US and Europe and everybody will say same thing. Uh, Because uh, people have experienced that uh, you can't depend on some other country which may have some problem and which may result into uh, problems with your supply. So therefore, there's going to be a reversal. We used to have uh, localization, then it became globalization. Now I think it's again going to become localization in some sense.
2: Going back to some of your earlier comments on, on digital and manufacturing, what would be your advice to us in the audience about Adopting smart manufacturing
0: practices. Well, as I said before, I think everybody has to use or adapt the smart manufacturing practices. But uh, it should not be just because if somebody else is doing. It. it should be because there is need for doing it. So first and foremost, there has to be recognition that this is a need of the hour, and not just because it's a hype or it's everybody's saying that let's do everybody's doing industry 4.0 so let's also do industry 4.0 that sh- should be the first thing but i think uh, important thing that companies should not forget that whether you do automation whether you do use the technology do the smart manufacturing uh, there are people behind it and therefore the first principle i would the first point i would like to state for everybody is to follow people-first policy before doing anything. Because in a rush to implement new manufacturing technologies, we shouldn't forget that there are are systems already in place and operations that uh, make people, anything that will make people resist change. So you need to make sure that people are brought on board. Because this is also like revolution, this is also like transformation, it's like uh, the the days when you used to have, uh, you wanted to implement ERP, Uh, it was not easy, it is not just getting some, um, going to a vendor, Oracle or SAP and say that I want to buy and implement, it doesn't succeed unless you bring people uh, in the whole, uh, whole system. So I think this is first thing that needs to be done. Uh, the second thing is I think we need to clarify why we are doing it, and not uh, what that what we want to do. It should it should be first why we are, we want to do it because what and how is very easy. What is uh, make the factory is smart, how is uh, reach out to some uh, company which is providing those big companies which are providing those solutions uh, is very uh, what and how is easy but why is the important question to be asked because the whole thing must be supported by the objective behind it. The third thing I would say is we need to establish some common understanding. There's a lot of words floating around here IoT, IIoT. Uh, big data, I mean we all are used to talking these, but everybody should understand what each term means and that understanding must be uniform across the organization. So we need a common language uh, for doing this. Fourth thing I would suggest is that uh, this rather than doing across the board, across the organization, it should be done. Uh, in steps. So first, try a model line or model machine or some small area where you implement, create some success stories. And those success stories are then fed back to the organization, rest of the organization. Other people see the results of the pilot and then it becomes easy to roll it out across the organization and finally most important is we need to equip the team for this change yeah. because people can become nervous the new thing what what it's going to do to me uh, how my new how my kpis are going to change uh, i think those are the kind of anxieties which are going to come i think we need to equip people uh, which- to come on board and understand what it, it means to the organization, what it means to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome.
2: Thank you. I, I, I got a few mantras from this. One is people first. But to make it people first, you have to win their hearts and minds. Help them understand why we're doing something. Make sure that there's a common language then implement in phases, learn, uh, uh, and, and apply as you go along. And the last, probably the most significant for me, because I know you are very passionate about this is how to skill, equip the team for some of the new aspects of their roles that they probably haven't done before. So let me just dwell on that for, for a couple of minutes. I know, I know you are a big proponent of this, and I know that uh, you were part of uh, a, a revolution in my own mind in the automotive sector here too, because you were one of the pioneers in creating the skill clusters uh, with Maruti, and I had the privilege of working with you at that time. Uh, so can you kind of take a, a, a big picture view and say, what are some of the, the most Important skills that you see required in organizations, especially in the automotive sector and especially in manufacturing? And then the second part of the question is how do we bring people up to speed on those skills?
0: Yeah, so I think uh, we need to bring in digital literacy in the organization. Uh, fortunately, people are very conversant today using mobile phones smartphones uh, so digital digital knowledge is not so difficult i mean even small kids today uh, can can do this uh, but specific to manufacturing i think we need to create programs we need to create training programs and uh, again, the principle should be learn and apply, learn and apply, learn and apply rather than learn, 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 learn and then apply. So small, all things need to be taught. Uh, and, and then you need to, uh, you need to make them apply those and then uh, see the success. And then teach the next thing. I mean, those kind of programs need to be put in place. Uh, this may be difficult for a one company to do I think this there is a need for somebody like CII, somebody uh, some somebody like that to come together and create those kind of programs mm-hmm. I think nascom has got uh, okay of programs already they develop for the IT industry and a lot of those programs are common to the new manufacturing and the digital uh, revolution so something like that could be uh, could be done. But uh, it is important that uh, people are made digitally literate. Again, it will depend on company to company. It cannot be a one single uh, program. Uh, One thing fits all. Uh, You need to create custom programs for specific applications. And therefore that learn, apply, learn, apply, uh, methodology works well mm-hmm. because you do small bits specifically required for you, then you apply it, you find uh, problems there. You can you can make course corrections as you progress. So that kind of approach would be uh, necessary. You're right about
2: digital literacy. And you're also right about needing a, a, a company specific model for that. As you said, one size does not fit all. Uh, One of the things that we've learned at PMI, which would be very supportive of what you've just said, is recently we went out and talked to uh, CXOs in about 80 large organizations globally. And we asked the question, in the face of digital disruption across industry sectors, what are some of the common, skill clusters that are important. And a very interesting thing happened. We found that there were indeed common skill clusters across all industry sectors. And and one of those was obviously technical skills. You've spoken about that. But the second aspect of the technical skills was the ability to take people along with you which is something you've just spoke, spoken about. So technical skills alone is important, but not the be all and the end all, but the ability to be able to take a group of stakeholders along with you. The second aspect in terms of common skill clusters that came out, which is quite interesting was regardless of what the organization is, the people who are making these changes happen need to understand the business perspective. You you put it very eloquently. Why are we doing this? The business perspective: Can we speak the customer's language? Can we understand what the customer is looking for? What are the value streams? And back to what, what you said earlier: what, what is the innovation that is required in this process? And then the third uh, common thread was what we call collaboration skills: uh, How to be able to collaborate with people especially remotely in today's world and also how to collaborate with a whole different number of stakeholders within within the organization so when we look at the auto, auto sector in india uh, and and we look at digital literacy on one hand and also the needs of the industry on the other hand are there some other aspects from your own experience that would come in handy to us, as many of us in our organizations are trying to make this transition.
0: There is one area which I think, uh, I mean, you mentioned about technical skills, you mentioned about the human side of the skills, uh, leadership skills, essentially, uh, leading people, taking people along, etc. And there is one more skill which is important is uh, creative thinking. Uh, Indian education system unfortunately does not uh, provide that Uh, and uh, people, I mean we think that uh, people with right brain come by birth but I think there are methods by which you can develop these skills Mm -hmm. and uh, in today's uh, world I I mentioned about continuous improvement to continuous innovation, you require creativity. Uh, and it is it is not just one or two or few people but it is entire organization uh need to have those skills at different levels so i think uh, skill around that uh, different aspects of skills around uh, how to become creative how to be able to think out of box uh, i think those are the kind of skills
2: which will be also required well said well said again that goes hand in hand with some of our own learnings as well as PMI because one of our key learnings is many organizations get into what we call a process prison there might be some steps described on a, in a particular methodology but sometimes you hit a brick wall and therefore how do you uh, how do you climb out of that prison if you will and and goes goes back to what you just said about creativity about uh, uh, systems thinking uh, and 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 so on and so one of the one of those one of those key aspects of what you talked about in my own mind is agility uh, how to how to get an organization to be more agile how to get uh key individuals within an organization to become more agile and how to get the entire
0: organization to think out of the box any any thoughts on that yeah i think uh we need to again benchmark ourselves against uh, the, the manufacturing industry has to benchmark itself with the service industry. The likes of uh, uh, the IT companies, the Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple. I think the kind of processes they use, uh, they need to be learned and then deployed in manufacturing. I think because those lines are becoming very thin between manufacturing and service now. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that goes back to what you said earlier about mindset change. Many of our organizations would uh, resist you coming in and saying, hey, can you take a look at what an Amazon is doing? Can you take a look at what uh, Apple is doing? And they say, wait a minute, what does that have to do with what we're doing? So I think that is a critical aspect of the mindset change that we all need to think about. So so Kiran, uh, this has been a real education for me and I hope it has been for all of our uh, audience members as well uh, to have you kind of reflect on the macro changes that have happened in the automotive sector and manufacturing in India, but particularly the focus on what has changed, why it's changed, and perhaps most importantly, how to provide the right skills and capabilities for the people in our organizations to be able to take up the new roles that they would need to take up. So we really appreciate this coming from a very senior person like you. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.